0: So I want to talk to you this morning about boldness. It's not really something we often hear about as Christians. In fact, you know, if we were to think about the virtues of a godly Christian life, you know, we might list purity or faith or self-control or, you know, one of the the various other fruits of the Spirit. And we'd, we'd be right to do so. But I wonder how many of us would think to mention Christian boldness. So, you know, different people have different views on, on the quality. For, for some folks, it can be seen as a good thing to be bold and uh, stand up for what you believe in. But, you know, boldness can also be equated with being pushy or being overly assertive. And then on the other hand, if you happen to be someone who is naturally shy, you may have a hard time wrapping your mind around it because you may feel like it's something that's not a natural part of your personal makeup. But either way, I want you to consider it this morning as we go again to Paul's letter to the Thessalonians and our continuing look not only at this important book of the Bible, but at the advent of the Protestant Reformation that arose from exactly these types of Holy Spirit inspired writings uh, and the boldness that they inspired in the people of God down through the centuries. So if you're just joining us for the first time, we do uh, expository preaching here. We're going to be preaching Through the whole book of 1 Thessalonians, if you don't know where that is, New Testament book, if you find Colossians, go right. And I'm going to be reading to you, uh, let's see, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I'm going to be reading to you the first 13 verses. So I hope you have your own Bibles with you, have them open in front of you so you can see this all together, although it will be on the screen. Uh, But listen for the voice of the Spirit. So Paul writes, for you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or at any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God, And so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to us today. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, our Father, uh, in you is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so we ask you to open now our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word just now. And give us grace that we may encounter your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I, I said in the opening, I... I want to talk to you this morning about boldness, and more specifically about Christian boldness, because they really are two separate things. Because, you know, boldness in the biblical sense is is not a personality trait. It's not merely being courageous or confrontational or always having the last word. But instead, Christian boldness is acting by the power of the Holy Spirit with honest, urgent conviction in the face of ungodly opposition. Just like the Apostle Paul did when he preached the gospel of salvation to the Thessalonians. Because at the end of the day, genuine boldness is centered on Christ. And it requires the humility to recognize that as we realize that we cannot be bold on our own. Which I really think makes this second chapter of Thessalonians the perfect text to accompany our celebration of Reformation Sunday. Because Paul's words here really describe not only himself... But call to mind the work and the mission of Martin Luther and and as both men, actually, uh, Paul and Luther continually pointed beyond themselves and their own work in ministry, as important as it was to the point of their ministry, which is the person and work of Jesus Christ and to the centrality of the cross. And so just by way of a little background, if you remember from last week, uh, the Apostle Paul, having received a good report about the Thessalonian believers, is writing back to them to commend them for their faithfulness and to remind them of the time he had spent with them and of the things that he had taught them. And, and we know about this period of Paul's ministry because the book of Acts describes his trip there and it tells us how at first he had great success with the Thessalonians until his opponents began to spread rumors about him and uh, stir up the rabble of the town. Until eventually there was a riot and a mob of townspeople grabbed these Christians and they dragged them before the rulers of the city. And when they got these believers in front of the civil authorities and began to make their complaints, they said, these men, these Christians who have turned the world upside down have come here now, too. Now, these rioters meant this as an accusation and as an insult. But you know, it really was a compliment. And what a great thing to have said about you that you managed to turn the world upside down for Jesus. Amen, somebody. You're not, and I can't think of a greater compliment for a Christian. A compliment that is certainly due to men like Martin Luther and the Apostle Paul and one that we should be aspiring to in this fellowship so that if the Lord tarries another 46 years, the generations that follow us can look back on our time here and say, these are the people... That have helped turn the world upside down for the faith but we have to ask ourselves the question of how how did men like the first century apostles and the early reformers of the 15th and 16th century these these very ordinary men from very ordinary backgrounds make such a dramatic impact on the planet that their lives and their legacies are still impacting us today in 21st century america and around the world And I think the answer is threefold that I want to share with you this morning. Uh, The first and most obvious, the one that I've already mentioned, which is a Holy Spirit empowered conviction. But having it coupled with courage and with a sense of urgency, because if any one of those three ingredients is missing, we won't really be acting boldly. You know, because obviously without the Spirit's conviction that something ought to be said or ought to be done, along with having the scriptures to back it up. We need to be really cautious about the things we might be tempted to be bold about, lest they come from a place of arrogance and self-serving. And and hand-in-hand with that, without courage to take God at his word, we don't have the foundation in which to plant those convictions in the face of opposition. And without that sufficient sense of urgency, we lack the fire under our feet to get us moving. And so we are in danger of becoming a people who are at best indifferent and at worst, Half hearted and fearful. Uh, And again, by definition, that's not boldness. But church Christian boldness is a necessity. And if we don't want our time on this planet to be in vain, if we don't want to come to the end of our lives and the end of our careers and the end of our ministries or the end of our families and find it empty, we need to be bold. If we don't want to come to the end and find that nothing much happened, we need to be bold. If we don't want to come to the end and find there's no impact that mattered or legacy to last, we need to be bold. Because we know that that kind of life is not what God has lined up for us. And we see that in the text this morning where Paul described what happens when he came from Philippi to Thessalonica. And he he lived there and ministered there. And he says in verse 1, for you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and... Been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had what? Boldness. Boldness. We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much affliction. And so Paul says his life in Thessalonica had not been in vain, even though he stayed a relatively short time. And the reason his life there was not empty and ineffective was because he had boldness in God and he spoke the gospel with courage which is one of the hallmarks of the ministry of the Apostle Paul and of reformers like Martin Luther in the preaching of the word and the speaking forth of the good news. In fact, Luther said of this, he said the apostles wrote very little, but they spoke a lot. And so the ministry of the New Testament is not engraved on dead tablets of stone. Rather, it is a sounding and living voice through a living word in which God accomplishes and fulfills his purpose. Uh, and you know, to really, as, as a guy that really put his money where his mouth is, Martin Luther preached over two thousand three hundred sermons in his career. It makes me feel like a slacker, right? Although he wrote, he wrote, he said he feared preaching because he realized that what was preached might make the difference between heaven and hell for those that listened. Until finally, in fifteen forty six, in what would be his last sermon in tiny little Wittenberg, where he started. Luther said, true preachers must carefully and faithfully teach only God's word and must seek its honor and praise alone. In like manner, the hearers, that's all of you guys, say we do not believe in our pastor, but he tells us of another, one named Christ. To him he directs us, and what his lips say, we shall heed. One of our Reformed confessions addresses the idea like this. This is what it says. Wherefore, when this word of God is now preached in the church by preachers lawfully called, we believe that the very word of God is proclaimed and received by the faithful, and that neither any other word of God is to be invented, nor is to be expected from heaven, and that now the word itself which is preached is to be regarded. Not the minister that preaches, for even if he be evil and a sinner, nevertheless the word of God remains still true and good. And brothers and sisters, we stand today in that long scriptural tradition, the tradition of the first century church of Paul and the apostles and of the Reformation churches of Europe and of the Mayflower pilgrims whose, whose faith we carry, men and women of God entrusted with the good news of the gospel who turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ. And that only happens one way. That only happens through one bold proclamation, arising from consciences washed clean by the blood of Christ. To proclaim the urgent message of grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And the urgency part comes in because, and you guys know this, everything in the media-saturated world around us, and in the satanically inspired message that's behind it, conspire to tell us, don't worry, you have plenty of time to obey God. So live for today. Right? But the truth is, that we ought to obey God right now. And we are going to keep on calling people to do that and boldly proclaiming that message, whether the world wants to hear it or not. And why? For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know. Nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we see glory from people, whether from you or from others. And my wife's going to laugh at me. I know I've said this before. I really do care whether people like me or not. I'm not a sociopath. Okay. Um, but I don't care enough to compromise on the truth. Okay. For the exact same reasons the Apostle Paul just laid out. I cannot allow myself to be shackled by the opinions of people. And guess what? Neither can any of you. Uh, And why? Not because I'm so great. Right, honey? And not because any of you are so great. But church, because our God is. And as Paul just said, our message is true. It's not from error. Our message is pure. It's not from tainted motives. Our message is honest. We are not trying to trick you. That message, that good news is trustworthy because it's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And over 2,000 years later, Jesus is what we all still need. Because church, spiritually, the world is no different than it was in Paul's day. Or in Luther's day. And we need to be continually called back to reliance on Christ alone, even though the world around us and worse yet. Worse yet, the worldly church is capitulating with the forces of darkness every chance they get, which is which is an idea we need to courageously examine on a day like today. uh, As we reflect on the truth of the message that we've received and of the myriad manifold blessings that God has given this particular flock gathered home here this morning. Because, church, just imagine if God gave us what we really deserved. What we would res- uh, deserve for our nation not taking a united, vocal, uncompromising stand against abortion. And against the enemies of Israel. And against the advent of cultural Marxism and the mirage of the progressive liberal agenda. But, guys, we've got to stop playing church. Because the Bible says Christ is returning and his judgment begins with the house of God. And he will not give his glory to another, no matter who they are. That's the legacy of the Reformation's teachings. And brothers and sisters, it's in that same Holy Spirit that opened Martin Luther's mouth and stiffened his spine and planted his feet firmly on the scriptures. We declare with him that God's word is truth and everything and anyone else better get in line. But that's not happening out there, is it? That's not happening in what passes for Christendom in the world today. As first the Presbyterian Church (PCUSA) uh, and then the the Methodist, and now even the Catholic Church has fallen under the spell of the Alphabet Mafia. When the so-called Vicar of Christ, in one fell swoop, exalted himself above the Word of God this past month, only to prostrate himself at the feet of the gay agenda. In lending his endorsement to exploring the blessing of same-sex couples. Uh, Blessing them with, in his words, this is his words, patience, understanding, tenderness, and encouragement. Uh, Earning him the same rebuke as Luther delivered against the Roman pontiff of his day, of who Luther said, sits as a man of sin and son of perdition in the church, not to govern it with divine laws, godly promises in grace, but with foolish human commandments by means of his self-invented holiness and so now is due no more allegiance than a Christian owes the antichrist and so, brothers and sisters it's not just for those three apostate denominations, but that goes for all of us for all of us who would trust in any one or anything less than the glorious truth of the God of the Bible, but I call you to come out from that to come out from whatever idol that is for you. And it's different for everyone. Just like we read in First Thessalonians chapter 1 last week. As Paul commanded the new Christians. And commended them to, He said you turn, from, turn to God from idols. To serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven who he raised from the dead. And so that means whatever it is. Whether that idol is family. Or whether that idol is finances. Or whether that idol is your physical health or or friendships or even attachments to firmly held expressions of faith that just turn out to be wrong. You got to come out from that. And so all of us, myself included, need to pray and to ask God to reveal whatever idol that may be that's crept into your life. Even if they are innately good things in and of themselves that we have elevated to a higher place than they ought to hold. Mm -hmm. Things that become a problem when we begin to believe that they can satisfy us more than God can. Because those things become an obstacle to our Christian boldness. And the most common way they manifest themselves is the desire for human acceptance and in the love of the comforts and security that money can buy. But church, we can't fall for that trap. Even if it gets us labeled as intolerant, when we call men and women, as we read this morning, to walk in a manner worthy of God, Who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And guess what? There's only one way there. Think of it like this Christ himself spoke of two roads, two kingdoms, two rewards, two different eternities. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, not anyone, comes to the Father except through me. You see, it's the broad-minded, easy, popular culture way that leads to death and destruction. Only the narrow way of the cross leads home. And church, the gospel that Paul preached and the one that Luther rediscovered and the one which, by God's grace, you will always hear from this pulpit, presents a Christ who was so intolerant of our lost estate that he left his lofty throne in the heavenlies. And he took on himself the form of man. And he suffered at the hands of sinful men. And he died on a cruel cross of shame to purchase our redemption and call us back to the truth. And now the truth-telling is our job. And we need to still be doing it just like our Reformation-era ancestors. Because, you know, when Martin Luther rediscovered the gospel, he wasn't trying to start a brand-new church. He wanted simply to reform the existing one and to draw it back to the pure gospel of God's grace in Christ. And so from tiny little Wittenberg off the beaten path in Germany, a movement grew that hasn't stopped. A confessing movement that seeks to always underscore the truth of God's word. The truth that we are freed from sin and guilt solely by the grace of God, which is in Christ. And so in his teaching and in his writing, And in his personal life, Martin Luther pointed only to Christ. Luther preached nothing else but Christ. And today we look only to Christ who by his suffering and death on the cross exhausted God's anger and turned away his wrath. And so we still have just that one bold message. That's it. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And that message is absolutely reliable. And whenever and wherever that gospel is preached, people are changed. Including right here. And so we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but as what it really is the Word of God, which is at work in you, believers. In you, believers, embracing it because we, like those Thessalonians, rightly discerned its origins and that its message is not human. But divine. And that it has omnipotent power because God is the author. And it is the only thing that can change you from a life of pursuing sin to a life of growing in Christ likeness. It's the only thing that can take you from inaction to urgency, and from cowardice to courage, and from the influence of the praise or blame of men into the biblical idea of boldness as we grow in affection for God's word and rely on his transforming power in our initial salvation and every day as we continue in it rejoicing as it gives faith and grants repentance in our congregation as individuals and as a body of believers because it will not fail until it accomplishes all of God's purposes in this world and for the next in spite of opposition regardless of affliction whether in season or out of season, exhorting and encouraging one another as we see the day of the Lord drawing near. Because church, the devil would have you be afraid. And the world would have you despair. And your sinful flesh would have you lose hope. But because we abide in Christ, the word made flesh, we can boldly proclaim the truth of this book to the glory of God. And so once more with boldness, you and I can say in the words of Luther's most famous speech, I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted. And my conscience is captive to the word of God. And so here I stand. And so here we all stand until Christ comes or until death calls us home. Ready and willing to share not only the gospel of God, but also our very selves. And so church, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. When the very word of God is received by the faithful. And acted on in faith. Church, is not just powerful, but it changes the world. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Father, forgive our timidity. Pardon our passiveness and our easy acceptance of the ways of this world. That make us unwilling, Lord, to offend anybody but you. Uh, and send us out of here this week, Father, with a holy boldness to proclaim the kingdom of your Son. Father, we ask you now, too, as well, to bless this food we're about to receive in the hands that serve it. Uh, Lord, make it a foretaste of the fellowship of heaven and to the praise and glory of your Son, our King Jesus Christ. Amen.